Teach us to abide in your kingship and your love and your, and your peace and your care for us. Abide means we can trust and we can sit in your presence. And today we sit and stand in the presence of our king. We thank you that you are a good king, a good ruler, one that we can trust and abide in. In your name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning online. Thank you so much for being here as we uh, walk through our covenant series. Um, it is an honor, but it's also sometimes a bit of a stress trying to go through all of the Bible to figure out uh, what something means. And that's been my journey this week. So uh, learn along with me. No, I have, I have known some of these things uh, throughout, but it's nice to start to understand what this is about. So today we'll be talking about the Davidic covenant as we go through our series on the Jesus Code. So if you are new here or you are just um, visiting, we have been going through a summer series about uh, the Old Testament and how that points us back to Jesus through the covenants. And um, we see a covenant, we see something so interesting. So I love and often I talk about movies. And one of the, my love-hate relationships with movies is when they start a movie with the end scene. Do you know what I mean by that? Have you ever seen that kind of thing before? Yes? Yeah. No? Okay, fine. But there is movies that start with an end scene where it comes up and it brings to you the end scene, the fullness of what this movie is about to become. I actually was walking through Costco the other day and I saw a, uh, a book entitled, They Both Die in the End. And I'm like, well, hello, that's a, why am I going to read that book? But there is a, a, a finality in the movie that starts, and then the next scene is, next little digits across the scene, it says six months earlier, two years earlier, and, uh, and then you begin. You think, how am I going to enjoy this movie? I already know what happens. And then you completely forget about what that scene was. And then you get, hopefully, if it's a good, if it's a good storyteller, a good movie, you get completely enveloped in the story. And you start to carry on. And you start to go through. You start to go through. And then you get to the end. And it's a big surprise ending. And you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's what our Bible is. Our Bible starts where it ends. Our Bible starts in this garden, a dwelling place, a place that you can abide, a place that you can be in the presence of Jesus, a place that you can sit with God with no tears and no pain, and you can sit there in his presence. But then humanity pushes back on God, and it pushes back on God, and we leave the garden, and then we are on this journey, following through this journey, one day to get back to the beginning. So today we were talking about covenants, and we're talking about David and the Davidic covenant. See, covenants and contracts are two different things. Now, I will be, obviously, we've talked a lot about covenants coming up to this moment, so I don't want to repeat or I don't want to step on toes, but I'm just going to talk a little bit about covenants and contracts before we get into things. If you follow sports at all, you know something that they sign a lot of contracts, and if you follow the NFL at all, you know that when they sign a contract, that contract is made to be broken. That contract, I'm going to sign you for this much money, and then the next year they always re-sign, they always give them more, they give them less. So what happens in a contract is you are signing a contract to benefit who? To benefit yourself. And the employer signs a contract, hopefully benefiting the employer. 
So that's what happens in a contract. And sometimes we get covenants and contracts confused because we think a, cov- a contract is supposed to benefit us and us alone. See, I was at my nephew's wedding in Victoria this summer, lovely wedding, fantastic guitar player. Um, I played guitar for a little bit during that wedding. And uh, what happens at a wedding, if you've been, ever been to a wedding, anybody ever been to a wedding here before? What happens at a wedding is there are vows. And when you say these vows, these are not contracts, they're covenants. They are commitments. And we have all seen, perhaps been a part of covenants that have been broken. And those hurt and they bring pain. But we celebrate covenants that stay the time. There was a point at this wedding when everybody that's married, come get on the dance floor. Everybody was dancing, having a good time. If you've been married uh, less than a year, you leave the dance floor. So a bunch of people left the dance floor. If you've been married less than five years, please leave the dance floor. If you've been married less than 10 years, please leave the dance floor. Liz and I, we were boogieing. You should see me boogie. It's not good. Been married less than 15 years, please leave the dance floor. We were still there. We were still going strong. Less than 16 years, we were off. Less than 20 years, people started to filter out, filter out, filter out. My mom and dad were left. They were, they were at less than, I don't know, 40-something years. I don't know. Let's just say that. And they left the dance floor less than, less than 50 years, less than 55 years, less than 60 years. One couple was left dancing less than 65 years of marriage. And it was this moment that you're like, wow, those covenants, those, those moments at the beginning of their marriage didn't change. In sickness and health, didn't change. Because covenants are not meant to be broken. They're meant to stay the same from the beginning to the end. And that's what we're learning about. We're learning about this covenant that doesn't change. Covenant lies at the heart of biblical understanding of God's relationship to the world. Simply put, a covenant stands in contrast to a contract where parties enter into a quid pro quo agreement. With a contract, an agreement is made to protect oneself. With a covenant, one commits oneself with promise to another for the other's sake. A covenant is for the other's sake. So when God enters into covenant, he is committing and he's promising for our sake, not for his sake, which completely changes our view on what a covenant is. And when you read the Bible, covenant binds himself to creation in a relationship of sovereign care and commitment and binds creation to himself in a relationship of obedient service. The concept of a covenant needs to be read throughout the scriptures. Whenever we're reading the scriptures, we need to look and we need to see and we need to understand that everything that we are reading is based on covenant. And that covenant is a promise and a partnership to partner with us as we grow. God's light is living with us. And we are assured of this because God's covenant, in God's covenant, nothing has changed. So we've looked at a few covenants over the past little while. Abrahamic and Mosaic last week. And these are the promises that we get. We get a promise of blessing. We get a promise of a great name. We get a promise to be their God. We get a promise of protection of a great nation of land to bless the nation as a unique seed and to bring a king. These are the promises that you see in Genesis that are brought to to Abraham. 
and to Moses. And you see this, what happens is when somebody comes along, when there's a, a covenant made again, the same covenant happens, but just different parts are highlighted. So with Abraham, a covenant of a great nation and a unique seed is going to come through that part. So that's what we highlight in that covenant. And then with Moses, you have a covenant of land and a covenant of blessing the nations. And you see that come about. So these covenants bring different parts and different, and different aspects and different highlights. And then we have our covenant with King David. King David is interesting. He's got some, uh, he's got some history, but he's a lovely man. In fact, he's a man after God's own heart. And I think David is when we first really start to see the life of Christ be, and the life of Jesus be realized in the Old Testament. You start to see a real, a real reflection between the two. A man after God's own heart who worshipped and loved and also sought forgiveness. Also had humility to understand when he was wrong. There's a bunch of things that we read in 2 Samuel. Now, I've debated whether or not to read all of 2 Samuel chapter 7, and I'm going to do it with King sitting beside me here. So if you want to open your Bibles, or just take this note down. This is the covenant between King David and God. Nathan replied to the king, 2 Samuel 7 verse 3. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Whenever I have moved with all the Israelites, did, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the all, Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you to rule, to rule over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I, make you may, now I will make your name great. Like the names of the greatest men in, on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel. And I will plant them so that they have a home of their own and no longer will be disturbed. Wicked will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And I've done ever since at the time of the appointed leaders over my people of Israel, I will also give you a rest from all your enemies. Then this is the important part. The Lord, they're all important. But this, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Your days are over, and when your days are over, you will rest with your ancestors. I will rise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David's kingdom, God's kingdom, will be established forever through the seed of David. I will be his father, and he will be my son. He will, when he does wrong, I will punish him and the, and the rod wielded by men with floggings infected by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from you, from him, as I, as I took it away from Saul, who I removed from 
you before your house, and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. There is a new covenant coming, and David sitting on the throne, his throne will be established forever. Now, we understand that David is a priestly king, and we understand that he is a king that has brought something new to this idea. But this is what we just read. There's a promise of a blessing, which we just saw a few slides before here. The same promises come to David as they did to Abraham. The promise of blessing, the promise of a great name, a promise to be their God. All of this is in 2 Samuel. A promise of protection, a promise of a great nation, a promise of land, a promise to bless the nations, a promise of a unique seed, and a promise of a kingdom that will last forever. So we see this with King David. But we have revisionist history, and we can see that things kind of change after he gets this promise. There's a few nuances that we're going to talk about with King David as we go through. The nuance number one, God promises a son to build a temple. God promised him a son, his son Solomon, to build a temple. And we all know that Solomon built a temple. A great temple, the best temple, some might say. A fantastic temple. He made a fantastic temple, but then Solomon also kind of went in a wrong way. Solomon had this magnificent temple for worshiping, but then the worshiping became not only to his God, but to the God of all his wives. And it shifted. So how is that temple going to remain forever? It's a temple made with with hands and made with human hands that that inevitably mess things up. If you've noticed, us humans mess things up. So God promised David a son and a lineage to build his temple, but that temple that was built was not the one that was blessed. God promises a dynasty of kings. Your house and your kingdom will forever endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. He promised a dynasty of kings. Kings and kingdoms have this way of being a dynasty that should last forever. Should last from the beginning to the end. David's dynasty didn't last that long. In fact, only three generations. Destruction of this temple. We understand that the destruction of the temple came in Judah, in 586 B.C., as you have all watched uh, VeggieTales before, and King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and, uh, and, and destroys the temple. And the people of Israel brought back into a place of pain and discomfort. So how was this dynasty of kings going to last forever? The third nuance is God promises a divine seed king. Kings come in order, and we know through reading the Bible that the city of David came all the way to Jesus. Now, if we're going to say that that seed came from David to Jesus, then we're saying, well, then David was the key part of the seed part. came from David. But we know that that seed came from Abraham, so that's great. So there's this seed that follows all the way along throughout the Old Testament, 
But there's a very interesting verse, and this is where I want to start to dig in a little bit. There's a very interesting verse throughout this covenant, and it's in Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. So Psalm chapter 10 is kind of known as this covenantal understanding about, about what happened in this covenant, what's happening with David. And it says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. First of all, covenants, he will not change his mind. Big thing. And you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want to propose to you that you will all have a new favorite Bible character by the end of this, I hope, if I do my job all right. When someone comes up to you and says, who would you like to meet in the Bible times? And you can't say Jesus. That's always off the table. I want to meet Paul. I want to meet David. I want to meet Moses. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to meet Thomas or something like that. Something interesting. Something off, off, off base a bit. I want to propose to you that after this, I might say Melchizedek. I missed the boat on naming my son. I should have gone with Melchizedek. (laughs) Eli will have to do. If you want to open your Bibles, or just mark this down and have a little read later on, Hebrews chapter 6. Now we have to like suspend our ability. We got to pay attention and see how it all connects. So he... Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek's story is kind of all throughout this part. And actually, we're going to actually, sorry, I'm going to get to that in a second. It actually starts Hebrews chapter, I mean, Genesis chapter 14. Abraham returned from defeating, oh boy, Ketelomer, that's the one. And the king allied with him, the king of Sodom, came out to meet him in the valley of Shava. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Salem, brought out bread and wine. It's like he had communion. And he was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. Somebody blessed Abram. Somebody from before Abram blessed Abram. And he brought him bread and wine. And he said, Blessed be Abram for the Most High God, creator of heaven and earth, and praise to be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram, what did he do? He gave him a tenth of what he had. He gave some guy named Melchizedek a tenth of what he had. Now that's kind of interesting. That's about it at that point. And then we move to Hebrews chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, which comes from which city do we know King David was ahead of, were brought out. Jerusalem. So Melchizedek was king of Salem, Jerusalem, well before any of this started taking place. Now, just so you know, Salem means peace and complete. So there is someone who Abraham is worshiping and who is in the line scene of David, who they give a worship to because he is the king of peace and completion. Why didn't David get to build the temple? Because he wasn't a king of peace. He wasn't a king that brought peace. That's why he wasn't allowed, because he was too uh, involved in the war stories. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, and the priest of of God Most High, he met Abraham, says Abraham here, returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, 
The name of Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without a father or mother, without a father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of end, beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remain, remains a priest forever. This king Melchizedek has no mom or no, no dad. He remains a priest forever in the flesh, going from sea to sea. So if there is going to be a kingdom that is established all the way through the line of eternity, it has to begin, and it begins with Melchizedek. And Melchizedek has no genealogy. Without beginning of days and end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarchs Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. I can read on a little bit more, but I won't for now. Because we'll get back to that. So David was in this order of Melchizedek. So we have David who has been given this covenant, and this covenant doesn't start with him. It goes back, has reflections of Moses, has reflections of Abraham, and has reflections with Melchizedek. So that's beforehand. Then there's nuances of God's promise of divine seed king. And then there is these verses that happen after David's reign. So we have this word forever. We have a seed that's forever. And we have a king that's going to last forever. But what is the problem? The temple gets destroyed and they are cast out and they are brought away. How is this going to last forever? Well, I've got to find my place in my notes to tell you. Here we are. Isaiah 6.13, and though a tenth remains in the land, I will again be laid to waste. The land has been laid to waste, but as the terabeth took over, took oak, and sorry, as the terabeth and oak leaves a stump, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will leave a stump in the land. There's a verse that talks about how this tree is cut down, but there will be a stump that is left. And the stump that is left looks, when you see a tree stump, you think this is fairly, uh, fairly underwhelming. How is anything great going to come out of that? 70, 70, in 586, David's dynasty was cut off by the Babylonians and Judah and went into exile. Seventy years later, Cyrus issued a decree allowing a remnant to Jerusalem to go back and to rebuild the temple. Cyrus allowed a little bit of people back in. And a remnant returns. A little bit returns back, and they build, start to build the temple. And it says in Isaiah 11, verse 1, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So as we look at this story at the beginning, we see a beautiful garden, and things start to go bad. And this is when things really start to go bad. There is no way that this temple is going to continue. There is no way that this seed is going to continue. All looks lost. And when you're in that moment, you've forgotten about everything else, and you're like, look, there was a promise, and I forget what the promise is. Because everything looks lost. We have all been at a place where the promises look lost. Where the promises start to to dry up, where things start to, to go away. Things start to say, God, where are you in this situation? God doesn't make a contract with you. God makes a covenant with you. God didn't make a contract with David. God made a covenant with David. And that covenant will last forever. Things seem to be gone, but there is a branch that will bear fruit. 
We have heard so much about fruit when we open our New Testament. The vine and the branches, there is so much fruit and beautiful fruit. There is a narrative running through the Bible that is so beautiful. As we open it up, we see so many, so many good things. King David and the reflection of King Jesus are there. But it starts to change over. and We start to see a forever God in King Jesus. As things looked like they were going to go down, they were going to go down. We're going to start to see in Psalm 89, 89 verse 28, verse 89 verse 28 says, I will establish an offspring forever in his throne as the days of heavens. There'll be a nation, it'll come up in Daniel 7 verse 14. It says, his dominion, and his, everlast- his, his dominion is everlasting and a dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So now we have David as this king, but then his lineage looks like it's gone. But there's a seed that carries on and a fruit that starts to bloom. And that's where we're starting to take us into this understanding that Jesus is this beautiful divine seed that is going to be our king. Jesus is now taking the place of King David. King da- I was very proud of this part of my uh, slideshow. Thank you very much. King Jesus takes over and King David is a reflection. And we're starting. Phil was like, why were you here for four hours yesterday working on this slide here? And, uh, but King D- Jesus is there and King David starts to slide back. And then King Jesus starts to come up. And he is the one that we worship and he is the one that we live for. Because he is forever, because he is a king of righteousness, a righteous king. First Corinthians says, because of him you are, because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. There's so many verses today, we're not going to read them all. He is a divine king. Very truly I tell you, John 8 verse 5, even before Abraham was I am. In a moment, I'm going to read you a bit more of my new favorite character in the Bible. It's very exciting. Philippians 2, my, one of my favorite verses, my favorite sections. In your relationship with one, another, with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Our king takes on the nature of a servant. The king that we worship, the king, king seed, the king that we worship takes on that place. And he's anointed. He's an anointed king. The spirit lives within him. No measure of the spirit isn't with Jesus. No measure of the spirit is withheld from Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus has always been God. He is God. He's walking amongst us. He is our king. And what do you do with that power? This is the issues with kings. It's way back when the Israelites said, I want a king. And God's like, I don't know if you want a king. You want me to be your king. He says, no, we want a king. But they wanted a king that looked like the other kings that would come and conquer and, 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 and take over land and, and bring destruction and bring defeat, but also bring, bring wealth to them. That's what they wanted in a king. He says, no, no, no. I'll tell you the king you want. A king with all this righteousness, a king that's divine, a king that has all powers of God. How would you expect in our understanding of leadership nowadays, how would you expect that to go? Probably not so good. 
The way that we see leadership, the way that we see kingdoms is the way that our whole history of humanity has seen kingdoms. There might be one or two great examples of kings, but eventually they all fall until we get to our King Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, your new favorite character in the Bible. Jesus, like Melchizedek. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. So this is Hebrews chapter 7, now verse 12. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must, change, must be changed also. He whom these things are said before belong to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served the altar for it. It is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation of his ancestry, but on the basis of the power and the indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. David is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and now Jesus is a priest and a king in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it is the weak and useless, for the law has made nothing perfect, and, better, and a better hope introduced by what we draw near to God. And it is not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and has not changed his mind, you are a priest forever. Verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our need, the one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike any other high priest. Jesus is our high priest and Jesus is our king. He is the unexpected king. He is from the order of Melchizedek who has no beginning and no end, and he is the, in that order. The problem is we want a king in our earthly minds that will bring ruling and judgment in our favor. Then there is a final great reveal in Matthew 21, verse 5 of this lineage coming through and finally from the beginning to the end coming through from Matthew 21, verse 5. This is Jesus who comes into Jerusalem as a king. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. Jesus comes in Riding into Jerusalem, Salem, Jerusalem, now Jesus in Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, not riding on a war horse, riding with peace, riding with love, riding with care, not riding with vengeance, not riding with, with revenge on mind. Coming in, bringing love and peace and care. That is why this line, this order, this covenant hasn't changed because there is a king that comes out of this line who we can serve and we can love and we can mostly trust because he is a humble king, opposite of what we have come to understand as a ruler. I saw this this week. It said, if you have to beg God 
Now, just hear me out. My wife is like, Jordan, don't say it. I'm going to say it. If you have to beg God for forgiveness, you have failed to understand forgiveness and you have failed to understand God. How many times have I come to, I'm going to say quote unquote, quote unquote, the throne room of God, begging for forgiveness, saying, whip my back, throw, like, I am the worst of the worst of the worst. I don't deserve to be in your presence. We see this all the time. And you come into God's presence saying, God, I beg you, beg you, beg you, and you continue to beg for forgiveness it's because I don't under, understand forgiveness. I don't understand the power of the cross. And I don't understand God because we can come in freely to our king and receive forgiveness and life and love. We come in freely. The prodigal son shows us so much that we need to see about our God. Someone who spit in the face of God, walked away, did everything with all that money, did everything with all that life and came back and immediately welcomed back into the family. Immediately brought into the fold. Immediately come into the kingdom. Jesus is the fulfillment, and he's the line and the seed that comes through. Colossians 2, verse 17, talks about a, the Old Testament. The old way is beautiful, but it's a shadow of what's to come. We are so grateful that we live here in this life. We live here in this time that we can see where the end of the story is going. Zach, I'm going to have you guys come up now. We see it's a shadow of what's to come. And how do we respond to that king? Understanding Christ as the exhaustive yes of this covenant, and Christ is the yes of this covenant between God and humanity on both sides. When Phil comes next week, he's talking about the covenant that Jesus, the ultimate covenant, and Jesus is the yes on both sides. And it's a mystery and it's a beauty of how we see it happen. We started at the beginning of the story talking about a garden that was promised and a seed that came and then we walk through this story where we don't see, there's moments and times that we don't see how the end is going to play out. But in the end, in Revelation 21, it says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the order of things, for the old order of things has passed away. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony of the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say come. The covenant of marriage, the covenant between God and man is unbroken. 
And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let one who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This covenant that God brought King David is a seed that lasts forever, a story on the continuation, and the story and the covenant of a king, a good king, that we can come into his presence and he gives us a free gift of love and salvation. If you're here in the middle of a moment where you can't see the end of your story, I want to assure you that the Spirit is living with you. The Spirit of God and the King is in your heart. And you accept Him and you live life with Him and you will be in His presence. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your love. And thank you that you are the most merciful king that rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, that rides in as the Prince of Peace. And as we are here, perhaps, at the end of our rope, at the end of our hope, at the end of our life that we think it's all over, God, I just ask right now that you would encourage us and help us to understand that we serve a king who openly welcomes us into his kingdom. I'm going to take this time, I want to encourage you just to stay seated for a little bit. And just think on the goodness of the kingship of God and how we serve a king who widely opens his arms to us to come into his presence to accept forgiveness and live with that spirit in us.